That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Magic Mike's Last Dance. What did you want before Miami? I just wanted to escape my life. Do you like bartending? It's not really what I do. What is it that you really do? But then you came along and gave me this unexpected, magical moment that made me remember who I really was. I'm going to put on a show at this famous theater. People are numb, disconnected. We're going to wake them up with a wave of passion they've never felt before. Hell yeah. Without further ado, I give you the visionary artist, Magic Mind. So. The real question is, why do you love her? No one's believed in me like your mom has. So what's this show about? It's the same old, will she marry for love or money? So what does she pick, love or money? The real question is, why does she feel like she has to choose? It sounds to me she just needs to let go. And some good. Maybe that as well. You're not shutting me down, not this time! You're so good at this! I'm not gonna just let us give up on it. I want every woman that walks into this theater to feel that a woman can have whatever she wants, whenever she wants. Wait, I know you. You were a cop, right? Did you arrest her? What's your name? Kim. Let you off with a warning, right? Magic Mike's Last Dance, and the story is as follows. Mike Lane takes to the stage once again when a business deal that went bust leaves him broke and bartending in Florida. Hoping for one last hoorah, Mike heads to London with a wealthy socialite who lures him with an offer he can't refuse and an agenda all her own. With everything on the line, he soon finds himself trying to whip a hot new roster of talented dancers into shape. The film is starring Channing Tatum and Salma hayek Pinault. It is directed by Steven Soderbergh and written by Reed Carolyn. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Dan Baer. We are strippers. And Tom O'Brien. Yes, we are. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> Ain't nobody want to see that. <laughs> you don't know that. You don't know that. Mm, yeah, well, in any event... Magic Mike's Last Dance, the third film in the Magic Mike trilogy. What an unlikely trilogy. I never would have thought back in 2012 that Magic Mike would become a three-film trilogy here. But here we are. 
Uh, Steven Soderbergh returns to direct here. He did not direct a sequel, Magic Mike XXL. And in that span of time, it's been really fascinating, I think, to just kind of watch the career of Channing Tatum. You know, here's a guy that in the very beginning, when we were first introduced to him, I didn't really think much of his acting talent per se. I knew that he was a pretty face with a nice bod and he could dance. And that was kind of pretty much it. And he was always taking on these roles where I would look at him and think to myself, okay, he's eye candy, but he's not much more than that. But then over the years and Magic Mike, 21 Jump Street, Foxcatcher, and from then on, Guy just completely, I think, just did a 180 for myself and a bunch of others who didn't view him in the best light initially. And now here today, he's an actor that I get, I get very excited now whenever I see that he's attached to a new project. So to see him come back here and play this role with uh, Salma Hayek Penaltier is something that on paper was really, really exciting to me, not to mention Steven Soderbergh coming back to direct one of the most eclectic and highly skilled filmmakers that we have working today, even if his films don't always land, he's always somebody that, at least for me, I'm always very intrigued by what it is that he's got going on. But this movie has gotten quite a mixed reception from people. So I do wonder where everybody falls on this film. Let's start off with Tom O'Brien. Tom, uh, what has been your experience with the Magic Bike films, and what did you think of the latest one, and possibly the last one, as inferred by the title, Magic Bike's Last Dance? Well, to begin with, Matt, I am I, a big fan of this trilogy, and like you, this seemed like the most unlikely trilogy I could think of. But what I really admire about these three films is, unlike there's some trilogies that they, the first one's a hit, so they kind of remake Maybe we make it for the second one with some tweaks and the same one for the third one. These are three distinctly different films. They're kind of linked together by cast and linked together by dance, but they have different points of view. And that's what I find so fascinating about it. They've managed to create this entire world uh, of, of male strippers, if you want, but it's it's really about much, much more than that. The, I mean, like the first one, uh, Magic Mike, it dance is used to form a bond between guys. And then the second one, XXL, it's dance offers women the opportunity to really live out their sensual desires. It's done from the female point of view, which which was very surprising and really welcome. And now this is how dance can bring two people together into a couple, romantic couple. I mean, allowing them really to... Um, express their inner feelings through movement. And I can't think of another set of three films quite like it. Uh, if, to my mind, Last Dance may be the weakest of the three, it does make the trilogy a richer one with a lot to offer along the way. And, um, yeah, the guys are freaking hot. Always a plus. Am I right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, Dan Baer, what did you think of Magic Mike's Last Dance? So I'm a huge fan of both magic mike and the sequel magic mike xxl and like I, i'm still like blown away that magic mike even got a sequel let alone a whole freaking trilogy or like really a whole franchise because they also have you know the live show and the, the reality tv competition series like it's a franchise and I was really looking forward to this when I saw it announced. And then I remember when I saw the trailer and I said, oh, 
okay, so it's just a commercial for the live show. Got it. Expectations fully in check. And this movie went and proceeded to just demolish all those expectations. Because if this is indeed just a commercial for the live show, which it unabashedly is, it is (laughs) the best commercial I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not laughing, FYI. (laughs) Look, for something that is a commercial, it is genuinely fun and funny and engaging. And just like the previous movies, you know, it really all rests on the charisma and talent of its leads. And in this case, with Channing Tatum and Zama Hayek Pinal, you have a pair of truly incredible leads. And they give everything a weight to keep the whole movie grounded when it could just fly off into (laughs) anything if they weren't there to ground it. And I just enjoyed this from first frame to last. Pure pleasure. No guilt about it. Okay. I was really surprised by Magic Mike when I first saw it. Talk about a movie that clearly I did not feel was aimed at me in terms of marketing, demographic-wise. Watched it. Was very pleasantly surprised. Really loved the groundedness of the story. I thought Soderbergh brought a great depth of humanity uh, to the characters and yes it was about a male stripper but at the same time it was more of a character study than anything and I was really on board with it when I first saw it Magic Mike XXL was a lot more fun and had some very memorable uh, scenes in it that while I didn't like it maybe as much as a film compared to the first one just for sheer entertainment it really got the job done for me And I feel like Magic Mike's Last Dance is somewhere nestled in between these two films where it's not nearly as fun as the second film. And it's also not nailing the character work as well as the first film did, in my opinion, either. In fact, I would actually categorize this movie as a real disappointment compared to the other two. And I say this because of a multitude of different factors that we'll get into here in a little bit. But what I really was left ultimately disappointed by was this is supposedly the last film for the character of Mike Lane. Supposedly. I mean, you never know in today's Hollywood landscape if something is truly ever the last for anybody. But if this really is supposed to be the last time that we see this character played by Channing Tatum again, it doesn't feel like a satisfying arc across these three films. In fact, Not only that, but I just felt like his chemistry with Salma Hayek Penult was practically non-existent at times. And I'm sure people will disagree with me on that element of it because I do think that both of them are bringing everything that they can to salvage this. But I just felt like the writing was very thin and I never bought into their central romance. And I think if you can't buy into that the rest of the movie is not necessarily going to work. And even where it could have overcompensated by having 
a focus placed on the male dancers uh, in this movie. I, I, I noticed I didn't even call them strippers. I, I'm calling them dancers because this movie seems to be more about dancing than the stripping, which is fine. That's totally okay, I think. And the movie tries to make this very profound and deep connection about dance to our everyday lives, which we'll get into here a little bit more. I, I don't know if that entirely works for me either. But even this element, the part that I think a lot of people are coming to see a Magic Mike film for, let's see some hot men dancing. Even that was a letdown for me in a lot of ways. So overall, I'm definitely not as high on this film as many others are, and I could care less about it being an advertisement for the show or whatever. That doesn't appeal to me at all. So yeah, I, I was pretty let down by this, especially coming from Steven Soderbergh, who I just felt like there was a lot more potential for this to be better. So here's the thing, Matt. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. I don't necessarily disagree with you with a lot of your criticisms about this film. Um, it is absolutely underwritten. It is a little kind of cheap looking. You know, it looks like something that was, you know, put together very quickly and then filmed to make a quick buck. Well, did you hear that this was originally supposed to be an HBO Max only title? Yes, I am very aware of that. Yeah. <laughs> and there was there was a moment uh, relatively early on in this film that almost made me wish that it was a direct to HBO Max thing so that I could sit there in my home alone and enjoy this by myself. But I think that even Given all that, all the things that it has working against it, I still think the enjoyable parts of this movie sort of rise above. And I still had the most important part with any movie is I had fun with it. Okay. Well, I mean, listen, I'm not going to take that away from you. I'm glad you had fun. And I know some people who have watched the movie have had fun with it. I don't think that this is objective. Where I, I really do think the majority of people had fun with XXL. Like, like if you ask most people on the street, they will tell you that is probably the most fun of the three. And with this one, I just kept thinking to myself, where are the personalities of the characters that we got in XXL? Because outside of Channing Tatum and uh, Sama Hayek Penaltier, nobody has like a fully fleshed out character and you never really get a chance to know who any of these dancers are that are enlisted by uh mike lane and max to participate in this dance uh that they're putting on at this theater i mean did you guys not consider that to be a letdown it is yeah i mean yeah. You're, so, you're so used to the guys uh from the first two films you re really getting to know each one of those and these feel like generic dancers from the Vegas show. I mean, because I mean, they just, are. <laughs> hey, well, yeah. I mean, this movie literally hinges on you being invested in the relationship between Mike and Max. 
and Max being a new character that's introduced here, I, like I said, I think Selma Hayek and Alt is bringing, you know, everything that she can to this script. And there are, there are attempts made to make their romance steamy by holding them back from being fully sexual with one another. You know, Mike gives her this very hot and steamy dance early on that awakens something in her that she hasn't felt in a very long time, but they never have intercourse or anything like that. They never hook up, if you will. And so the movie withholds from that, and you are kind of in the back of your mind wondering, are they going to go the platonic route where they don't hook up, or are they going to at some point? And they withhold on that, which I appreciated. But at the same time, I had a lot of trouble just buying into the central premise of Mike willingly going to London. She's going to pay him $60,000. And then he ends up directing this show, which is kind of like a way for her to get back at her ex-husband. I was having Ted Lasso vibes, like watching this all of a sudden. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely like the plot is kind of wild when you think about it like that. Um, But again, like, the chemistry between Selma Hayek Penalt and Channing Tatum is so out of this world hot that I bought it. And honestly, yeah. the story does go out of its way at the beginning to set up Mike as being like at, if not his lowest point, then pretty close. Like he doesn't have anything tying him down right now. His business has gone bust. He's decided he's not dancing again, damn it. And that's one of my other things about this trilogy. It kind of like goes the full route of looking at stripping as kind of this low art and it's kind of seedy and yucky and a little, you know, feeling a little weird about it to something that is pure fun and now finally in the third movie something that is like as respectable as you can get you're in a stripping in a west end theater <laughs> i don't understand though how this is considered like a low for mike lane because well, he has literally nothing i don't know he seems pretty content with his life when the movie starts if anything she's like upending his very stable life well, they explained in the beginning that his business, which was his dream, his furniture business that we were all working towards, closed because of COVID. I, I, well, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe it's not about him being able to resurrect that idea. It's about him d- discovering something new in the aftermath of that. And that's ultimately what's happening with her, too, right? Is that yeah. th- there is this parallel here of dreams being chased dreams being obtained dreams being uh lost and then kind of rising from the ashes and feeling reborn again with a new sense of purpose which i i I do appreciate that to some degree here but at the same time i'm really sorry i just never ever ever believed for one moment and the movie did not do a good job of convincing me of this that mike lane was qualified to do this job uh, or no, but let me, let me be clear. Clearly he's not qualified to do this job, but they then do a series of montages and throughout the movie, they're showing Max really is the one that's like taking control of the production. And she's the one making all of this decisions and calls and stepping in whenever Mike clearly doesn't know what he's doing. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is like Tom Cruise and Joseph Kaczynski on Top Gun Maverick. Who's really running this production over here? <laughs> 
I don't disagree with you on that. Actually, like, I was thinking for a long time that this was going to go the route of, like, you know, he's eventually going to explode because how can he do what she quote-unquote hired him to do when she keeps doing it all herself and it to lead to this, like, sort of artistic clash? And it doesn't go there, which is weird. Yeah. I mean, didn't you guys feel like that there was a lot of setup with payoff that they didn't deliver on? Well, yeah. I mean, the opening lap dance, which triggers the plot, the oh sensuality God. of it, and what it opens up in uh, uh, Selma Hayek Pinot's libido, um, that you really do have to buy it. And I bought that. Where I think the film um, fails on the script level is that the couple kind of takes a back seat in the second half to the show. And those scenes of the two of them using dance and movement and sensuality together to get closer together kind of uh, kind of um, uh, really step aside for can they get the show on in time? And can they fool the uh, authorities into letting them, you know, actually put it on? It, it becomes a little more plot-driven and less character-driven, and I was disappointed by how the last part of the film. I thought it started w- very well, but boy, it just it's it just um, it becomes ordinary. I thought in, in 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 Acts two and three. I actually agree with you that I thought it started very well. I actually was very much into the humor, like the girl recognizing him at the at the party. And saying, oh, you were a cop once and him having to be a little coy about that. And then the Mm -hmm. before mentioned strip that (laughs) that Mike does for Max. I mean, I I, (laughs) at a certain point, I was like, this is like a little (laughs) it almost reminded me of like Team America World Police, where it was like the next shot was more ridiculous than the next uh, in terms of like that sex scene that they have in that movie. And at a certain point, I was like, wow, this is this is going on and on. And they're really pushing the limit here in terms of like they're making great use of the furniture and of the setting. <laughs> I, I literally wanted at some point, like I wanted to stand up and shout, get a room at the screen. But then I realized like, oh, they they kind of did. They're owning that room. They are owning every single inch of that room at, during that scene. Up until like that point in the movie, I was fully on board with with where this was going but once we get to london like i said the believability of the plot starts to lose me we're introduced to characters in max's life her butler victor her daughter zadie and there are elements that are introduced regarding their characters early on that i did not feel were satisfyingly paid off by the end I was kind of let down by how much screen time was given to those characters and I did not feel that they had substantial payoff. And then, like I said before, too, I just think my issues with the movie stems from a lack of believability in buying not only into Mike being put into this position, but also his central connection and romance with Max. Something about it just never clicked for me. I'm sorry, Matt. I can't help you with that. That's okay. That's fine. <laughs> and then, like I said, once I realized I wasn't on board, I was hoping then that the build up to the big reveal of the show 
was going to be this spectacle that would wow me, that would ha- I would have so much fun watching it. And I'm sorry, but everything that like Magic Mike XXL did, I thought was even better than this. The dancing is great. The choreography is phenomenal. Yeah. There there's some really really fantastic dancing happening in the third act of this movie. Oh yeah. But in terms of actually I don't know, stripping and communicating themes through dance that were supposed to tie the plot of the movie together. I did not get what I was hoping to get out of this by the time we got to the end. Like it didn't actually leave me walking out of the theater on a high. Well, it seemed to me to end very abruptly, which I, I, a I kind bit, of, yeah. a, a little more resolution, but I have to say that I think the, the dance that um, Mike does with the ballerina in the rain mm-hmm does tie in with him of Mike wanting to express to Max uh, just what he means to her by read by interpreting the events of their courtship into a dance of, with movement that uh, shows that he really does love her and uh, I think that achieved it the other the other uh, the dancing with the guys, did seem like uh, an ad for the Mike stage show. Um, but I think the last one was pretty spectacular. Fully agree, Tom. It's also like the one that gets the most loving cinematography of the different dance numbers we see um, outside of maybe the first one. But it is like it shot gorgeously oh it looks phenomenal i completely agree and i didn't exactly need like they do all these insert shots of like their history during the dance and like this movie is under two hours we we didn't really need the reminders but it's done so well again that like i didn't really care i think the really interesting thing about the magic mike movies is that like they're not like tom saying before it's not just like copy and pasting the same movie and giving it to us three times but they are all kind of about the same like larger story which is mike saying he's not dancing anymore and getting sort of pulled back into it and reigniting his love for dance or showing him how he's actually really good at this and then him leaving at the end anyway and this one subverts that a little because he does go through that same process of you're like i'm not dancing anymore i'm not doing it no way no how to getting sucked back in reminded of why he loved it reminded that he's actually pretty good at this because remember he choreographed all that for the final show in XXL too. And then at the end, we don't really know what happens, but we also know that he's going off with the woman with whom he produced this show. That was a huge one night sensation. So maybe they do go into this as a business. Maybe not. Here's the thing though. This is the third film, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's very clear. This is not rocket science. <laughs> it's very clear what the audience wants from a Magic Mike film at this point. 
Yeah, but Soderbergh does, of all people, does not care about what the audience wants. I don't know. I was just getting flashbacks to Halloween Ends recently where. Oh, come on. No, this feeling of like, it's so simple. Your audience is telling you what to do, and you decided to take a, a complete left turn and subvert expectation. And that's what I felt like this movie tried to do here was it took itself way too seriously. I mean, if you don't think that the voiceover dialogue about the importance and artistry of dance is completely eye rolling, I don't know how to help you on that either. It was eye rolling in a way where I was like, you you want me to roll my eyes at this oh no oh yeah no oh yeah come uh, on no they they are banking on you being emotionally <laughs> invested in this character now that he's in his third film that by this point we can take this all very seriously i mean yeah i think they do on some level want you to take it seriously you have to take it seriously in order to buy into it right i mean you have to do that with any movie but soderbergh and especially with this franchise like that first movie, Magic Mike, is not what people wanted from a movie with that title, with that cast, and about what it was about. And isn't it amazing that, like, I, I just love, like, hearing the different perspective here of I, I got something that I wasn't expecting as a result of that. But to me, what we got was actually better. And mm -hmm. the second film, because I liked the first film so much, I was actually more willing to go in the direction this time around, which is what is the direction that people were hoping to get from the first film. And they got it with XXL. Now here, in my mind, heading into this, I was thinking, OK, I know that it's going to be more serious and grounded because you have Stoderbergh back at the helm. So I'm hoping for elements of that from the first film. But then I also want some Backstreet Boys uh, singing, <laughs> you know, from the second film. <laughs> and there's nothing here that rises to the level of either one of those. Like, to me, this should have been a best of movie, taking the best aspects from the first two films. And it should have been the best film overall. But instead, it is lesser than each of them, making it the worst of the three. Well, Matt, as you said to me and the rest of the staff here at Next Best Picture numerous times, you can't grade the film they didn't make. I understand that, and that's fine, because the film that they did make, it's not as sexy as it thinks it is. It's not as smart as it thinks it is. It's not as dramatic as it thinks it is. It's not as romantic as it thinks it is. It's not even as funny as it thinks it is. It's funny in, like, the first the first quarter. It's very funny. No, the humor just stops landing at a certain Come point. On. Because your investment in the story starts to wane as it goes on, so now all of a sudden it's not as funny, and you're not as aboard for the ride as it goes. I feel like, Dan, I feel like we're going back and forth a lot. Tom, do you want to weigh in here? Whose side do you agree with more? <laughs> I'm on my side here. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I too was expecting a different kind of movie. I thought, okay, there, it's eight years after the last one. Uh, the guys are in their mid-40s. Kevin Nash was 63, for God's sake. So they're, you know, what is it like to be an aging male dancer? Uh, I thought that we're going to go that route. You know, is Mike going to become Matthew McConaughey from the first one? That might have been an interesting road to come down, go down. This movie really needed the guys. This movie really, really needed, like, Matt Bomer, Joe uh, Manganello. It needed Kevin Nash. All we got was a 
crappy Zoom call, which once again, I also didn't believe because, yeah, I get it. He's in London. Max, she's got some money, okay? I'm sure she's got strong internet connection. That, that, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. There's just so many elements of this that I found to be so eye-rolling at times. And to not have these characters also be included was just a real bummer for me. Yeah, but I didn't want to see them dancing. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been nice. But the dancing we got was so good <laughs> that I didn't really care that we didn't have them dancing. No. <laughs> uh, no, but it, but it did... I was just as as it got into the butler and the daughter and all of that. I mean, it felt like a reboot of a Magic Mike TV series. It's like, oh, now we're yeah. gonna put you know, it's it's like a whole new characters uh, that you know seem wacky. And it's like, no, 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 no. Get back to the sensual stuff because that that to me, I, I thought, frankly, I know you may have eye rolled at the opening lap dance. Uh, people may do that, but I thought it was extremely well shot, extremely well edited, and it really set a mood, and it really made me believe that she got something opened up in her. Um, so I really did buy that that first part. Um, ultimately, I think it's a disappointment. Um, it, the rest, the, the last half just seems like fantasy um, to close a show that seems to be a sold out hit for a one night only thing. It just it just seemed to be contrived. I mean, I, I enjoyed the dancing in it. Um, but it ended on a on a kind of flat note for me. Um, but I liked the first half so much that I'm I think I'm a little bit in between you guys on this one. Yeah, the last act is really kind of it is a little fantasy. It is a little wish fulfillment. It is the ending of every dance movie that has ever been. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's it is. Let's now. put on a show. It yeah. is one of the oldest tropes in the book. And so, of course, it's going to go on, and of course, whatever problems are they have are going to completely disappear because it's the final show. Everything is going to go perfectly, you know. Or if not perfectly, it'll still end with like a standing ovation and lots of applause. Yeah, it, yeah. I, 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 it'll be interesting to see whether it. Uh, I suspect it'll probably go to HBO Max pretty quickly, and yeah. the, the audience for it might be there. Also, too, like everyone's reaction to the third act in the audience watching the show that Mike and Max have put on. It's just so not believable. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) At this point, it was like, how many eye rolls do you want me to do? Also too, how old is her daughter supposed to be? Because they're acting like she's eight years old by shielding her eyes. And I was like, this isn't even funny. I think she's supposed to be like a young teenager, like 13, 14. Okay. But but, but you're right. They are infantilizing her. Yes. Which is like, it's good for a a laugh. But they return to the joke like three or four times. Yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah, That's the one joke that they really kind of run into the ground, I think. I wish wish she had slapped his hand away. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been hilarious and like i said you have all these high sociolites who are attending this premiere by surprise they're coming in expecting to get a different type of show no they're not they address that in the movie uh they say that the rumors have gotten out and that people were going because they heard about that but still like not a single walkout no okay I mean, would you? I mean, well, maybe you would. No, I wouldn't. Are you kidding me? I would be. Exactly. <laughs> I guess that whole thing about the rumors and them being aware of it, I guess that does make sense. I yeah. Maybe I didn't pick up on that as much. Besides which, it's also a British audience. So 
I highly doubt that they would walk out of anything until the intermission because that's it's just not done. <laughs> it's not proper. You know, but they but they do contrive things like bringing up the characters oh, who yeah. are in the movie, the women, and having them participate in a dance. <laughs> and their re their reaction seemed almost choreographed as well. It, it did come across as being a cute contrivance that I didn't believe. Does anyone think that there is any kind of um, bookend connection here with Step Up for Channing Tatum? <laughs> like, like, could this be the last time we ever see Channing dance as a major focal point as part of his filmography or something i don't know because i was thinking a lot about how maybe this is just the end of magic mike if you will but there is kind of like this nice bit of connectivity i think to step up it wasn't necessarily his feature acting debut but it was his breakthrough role and i'm just curious to know if at age 42 do you think that he maybe at this point in his career will want to take on roles that don't have so much to do with dancing and maybe kind of like how when people were always looking at John Travolta in certain movies in his career, whenever he would dance and be like, oh, that's a nice throwback to Saturday Night Fever. Do you think that uh, maybe Channing Tatum will withhold on the dancing moves moving forward? I mean, maybe. I feel like he has, though, for like a while. But I think that I think uh, I could see him coming back to dance but for something like that sailor number he did in Hail Caesar, yeah, with tap and things that are not quite as sexy grindy, but a lot maybe a little more Broadway or traditional because he still has the chops. Yeah, what happened to that Guys and Dolls remake that well, he was supposed to do? I don't think it's any long uh, any more on the docket, but yeah, well, I could see him doing something like that. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Yeah. Okay. Final thoughts here on Magic Bike's Last Dance. Tom, what do you have for us? I wish, I'm glad to see it got a theatrical run. Because I think there is something about seeing it in a group experience. And when I saw it yesterday, it was fairly crowded, mostly matinee ladies. But that's fine. Uh, they were getting off on it. Between this <laughs> and 80 for Brady, the over 40 uh, women crowd are definitely having a time. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish it was better. Uh, I, if it, indeed this is the last film, I would I would have wanted something that could be more of a capper uh but i'm happy it exists um because it does it is an interesting remind it is a good reminder of just how sensual dance could be and i just love seeing choreography this good at a mainstream film so i'm i i'm, I'm happy i saw it if i'm a little mixed on it then uh, but it's got some really good stuff in it okay dan bear how about you 
Yeah, I, I think it's time to address the elephant in the room um, that I know both Matt and I noticed, and I wonder if you did too, Tom. There are at least two scenes in this movie that have really terrible sound mixing. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. Like, noticeably terrible. And I was like, Steven Soderbergh, what happened? I, I started to wonder if it was just him experimenting and trying something different, because I think we all know at this point, Soderbergh loves mm-hmm. playing outside of his comfort zone, and he loves trying different things with each film. Sometimes these creative decisions work. Other times they could be quite baffling. And here I agree. There were times where the sound would drop out or there were times where dialogue from the next scene would start playing over the previous scene, maybe a little too early. And there were just all these uh, very odd choices throughout that, they were pulling me out of the movie because the flow didn't, the flow seemed to be broken. Yeah. It did take me, for example, the early dialogue took me out of the scene I was watching. Yeah. And I, what would wind up ending having that scene puzzle me until it's, you know, until you realize it's for the next scene. And it just seemed, you're right. It just seemed to be a little used a little too often and a little too early. Anything else, Dan? Yeah. I just, Aside from that, it's really well filmed. Like Tom mentioned before, like it's this is really well shot. The dance sequences, at least, are really well edited. Everyone looks great with the costumes and hair and makeup. Like especially Salma Hayek, Pinault, like mwah, Chef's Kiss, A plus plus. I wonder if it was all just like clothes out of her own closet. <laughs> um, Tell me this. I, I don't know if you were expecting this or not. Uh, how did you feel? And spoiler alert, maybe for some people, but how did you feel that she never got a chance to dance herself in this movie? Um, didn't really bother me so much. Um, she dances. Was it because you weren't expecting it? Maybe. Because I almost felt like her and Mike needed to have some sort of a connection through dance by the time this movie was over. I mean, she does dance a little. They ha- She dances with him a little in that opening uh, lap dance. And she does do a little um, uh, salsa, merengue, uh, whatever. style. I'm not entirely sure what style that was, but she does a little bit of that with the, the boys in the show. So, like, I, I didn't feel like I was missing it because it was kind of there. Yeah, but I I was not coming to this movie to see her dance, so didn't bother me. Okay. Um, but what I did come for was to see Channing Tatum dance, and look, I I get the the criticisms that there is not enough dancing in this movie. Absolutely get it. For me, there was still enough for me to to latch on to and enjoy and the rest of what was happening while it wasn't on the level of magic Mike or even XXL, I still enjoyed it. And there are there things in the film that don't make much sense or are underdeveloped. Yes, absolutely. The romance between Max and Mike is like just really 
undercooked. It, there's no way around it. It's like th- this movie is just under two hours. It could have easily been just over f- two hours and gotten to a more believable point, I think, with that storyline. But Salma and Channing are so good. They are such movie stars in capital letters that they were able to fill in, for me, the blanks of the script with just looking at each other. Sometimes you don't need dialogue and chemistry will do everything that dialogue can do in a lot less time. And that's what I got from this movie, which is something that like the Magic Mike movies have always been powered by the charisma and talent of its stars. So that felt totally of a piece with what the other films in this franchise have been doing. I love that it played with the tropes of dance films in some ways. I thought the narration was like, it was so dumb that it had to be on purpose. I don't know, man. (laughs) But then again, there is the sound mixing issue. So like, who knows? But I'm feeling charitable enough towards this franchise and to Soderbergh in particular that that just felt like kind of like a Soderberghian stylistic thing that I just laughed at whenever it came on and just enjoyed for the ridiculous, overly puffy thing that it was. And I loved how this like really sort of completed the arc of Magic Mike going from that dingy little club in Tampa to a theater, like a real theater in London. I think that that arc is done really well and in, you know, somewhat unexpected ways across the three films. And what the hell, I had a fun time I wish I had some dollar bills that I could have thrown at the screen. Okay, a couple of different things here that I have to take us home. Speaking of which, they should have called this movie Magic Mike Far From Home because <laughs> doesn't it just feel like at a certain point, like when you have like a long-running franchise of sequels, at some point you have to have one of them just be set in Europe somewhere, <laughs> you know? Like... Yep. Okay, but for real. Mike's line of I don't fuck with vegetables <laughs> or I don't mess with vegetables, whatever it is that he says. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about one of the most unrealistic pieces of dialogue I've heard all year. <laughs> <laughs> this man is 42 years old and he looks like a Greek God still. Dear God. <laughs> how does he, how does he do that and not eat vegetables? Come on. She calls him out on it. And then he's like, I don't know. Genetic bullshit. I call bullshit on that Channing Tatum. Mike Lane, screenwriter from Magic Mike's Last Dance, whoever was responsible for that line. Bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The one line of dialogue that really made me laugh was the innuendo of, oh, it was such a pleasure to be inside of her. (laughs) It was well written. That was really phenomenal. Uh, And I also really, really loved the Magic Mike pun. I'm going to take this magic mic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Really, really like that too. But yeah, other than that, 
I don't want to beat a dead horse here. Just a disappointment for me. I expected more from Steven Soderbergh. Maybe this is what I should have expected. But after XXL, I was, like I said, hoping that this would be more fun. And I think that's what it is. I think that the grounded seriousness of this film is sort of matching what the first film was. But it's lacking the all-out fun that the second film delivered on. And I wish there was just more of that here. I wish we could have gotten a chance to know some of these supporting male dancers a bit more. I, I think there is actually something very interesting going on here in regards to female desires, consent, objectifying both men and women, and how we as a society react to that sort of thing. And also to not being ashamed of our sexual desires. Mm-hmm. It's true. I mean, that was yeah. a big theme of XXL with uh, the women he, ver- he visited on his trip across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, in each case, whether it be Jada Pickett-Smith or Andy McDowell or uh, Elizabeth Banks, these people, these women really allow themselves to be free through this. And that's one of the, that that interesting object, lack of objectifying, but seeing people as who they are is something that's a real hallmark of the series. And you're right, Matt, it does show up here as well. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like just the whole, you know, journey of the, up the respectability ladder of stripping across the three films is something that is really interesting. Like it, that initial movie is such a tease about like, you thought this was going to be like fun and camp and like, he, he, he strippers, but no, we're taking you inside an actual strip club. And like, it's not that really when you look at it more objectively. And then the second movie is just like, Nah, it's fun. It's a stripper <laughs> convention, you know? And now it's literally a piece of theater. But I think I, mean, I think that's the problem, though. I think that these films were better at being character studies of these male strippers. And here it feels like the movie is going for less of a character study approach with mm-hmm. both Mike Lane and even Max, and it is instead trying to dissect our fascination with dance as an art of self-expression. And I don't think that the movie does that as successfully as the character work in the first two films. Well, I think it's trying to say that stripping is dance. Yes. And that it's just another form of self-expression and that it's not something that should be looked down on either the people who are on stage doing it or the people who find themselves in the audience watching it. Okay. I, I you know what? I think that's a good note to end on here. I, I like that we had a little bit of a back and forth, a little bit of clash of views overall uh, for my grade for this film. I liked some elements of it. I I think I sounded a little bit more negative probably than I am because I did enjoy parts of it enough that it's my least favorite of the three films for sure. It's not a full recommendation. I'm giving it a five out of 10. I wish it were a bit better and maybe that's due to expectation, but I still feel that even what this film strives for, it doesn't fully hit the mark. Tom, what about you? 
I think that I like it a little bit better more than that, Matt. Not much more, though. I mean, I think I was very disappointed in the second half of the film, but I think the first half was strong enough uh, with uh, high points, particularly the initial uh, emphasis on the couple, that I would give it probably a six uh, with because on the whole, I could say I did enjoy it and I'm glad I watched it. Okay, Dan, what about you? Look, if this was just about how much I enjoyed watching something, this would be an eight. But it it's not just about how much I enjoyed something. It's also about how good it is of the film. And this is, I think, both my least favorite in the Magic Mike series and also the least well-made. But that's sad. I still enjoy it. Uh, so I am at a seven out of ten. Okay, and as far as any kind of Oscar potential from Magic Mike's Last Dance, <laughs> hey, listen, we always got to do it. We got to bring it up. It's part of what we do here. We got to do it. <laughs> Not going to happen. Exactly. It's a very short section here. The answer is no. No Oscar potential. <laughs> I, I think we ask this question every time we review a Steven Soderbergh film, so I'm going to ask it again here. Do you think that he will ever make a film again that will bring him back to the Oscars the way that 2000 did with Aaron Brockovich in traffic? Maybe. I think he still has the capability. Yeah. Um, but but it seems like he's been interested in smaller, straight-to-streaming things in, in recent years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's He's retired. He's come out of retirement. He, you know, I, I can never predict anything with him. No. Yeah. He's certainly not chasing it. Oh, definitely no. If he does ever get it again, I think it would be for a single element of his film, like a performance or something like that. I don't mm. think that it would be an across-the-board contender. I think it could happen, but it'll probably happen like almost by accident. There's a part of me also that thinks that like Behind the Candelabra, had that not been for television, I think that could have been a return, yeah. at, at least in some areas. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. It would have gotten at least the Emmy nominations it got, if not more. Yeah. Okay. Well, Dan Baer, tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. You can find me dancing the night away on Twitter at Dance and Dan on film at Post and Letterboxd at Dance and Dan. Tom O'Brien. You can find me on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Magic Mike's Last Dance here on the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. This is Gary Chachot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. 
Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.